It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a legend of the game, as the title promises. He is a 1980 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee, an Olympic gold medalist, a national champion with Ohio State, an NBA champion with the 1973 New York Knicks, a seven-time NBA All-Star, who is also a best-selling author and a memory education expert, and has been in the room when basketball history has been written numerous times. I'm so thrilled to introduce Jerry Lucas. Mr. Lucas, thanks so much for joining me today. Kyle, it's a pleasure to be with you. So I want to start, if you don't mind, uh, with your Buckeyes teams at Ohio State. They were nothing short of legendary, with some of the great basketball intellects and athletes right there on the court together. Of course, you, John Havlicek, Bob Knight, playing for a Hall of Fame coach in Fred Taylor. You all went 78-6 and with three Big Ten titles and a national championship. Now, legend has it, that was also when your unusual intellect started to become evident. Can you talk to me a little bit about the way that maybe the makeup of that team with Knight and Havlicek and so many others who were basketball players from the shoulders up too, how important was it that that mix was right for you to play that style of smart basketball that you all did? Well, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, it was a marvelous group of young men. We all were from Ohio. Uh, we had all, of course, been recruited by Fred Taylor and we really didn't, I mean, when the group that my group that came in as freshmen, we didn't really know each other until we played some all-star games together, but obviously we became very good friends and it became one of the greatest, uh, college teams of all time with some of the greatest basketball minds of all time that you have said. I found out pretty quickly that there were players on that team that loved the game, knew the game, and it was a type of, that would become the type of team that I loved. Uh, basketball is a team game. It's not a, it's not five individuals out there playing the game, but it's five people working together to benefit each other and to benefit a, a, a group of people that can do the best they possibly can. Uh, and that was one of the, that was, by the way, the first team in the history of college basketball that had five players on the team go on and play professional basketball. John Havlicek, myself, uh, obviously Larry Siegfried played for the Celtics for many years. Joe Roberts played with the Syracuse Nationals for a number of years. And Mel Lowe played in Chicago as a professional. So that became the first college team that had the five players go on and play professional basketball. Uh, we, you know, we won the national championship one year, and unfortunately, we lost the national championship in the final game of the final four uh, the next two years. So had we, and we were undefeated uh, that, uh, which was my junior year, and that was the only game we lost in the national championship game. And we only won, we only lost one game the next year, and unfortunately, we lost in the final game of the final four again. As a result of losing those two games, I don't think that group and that team has ever gotten its full due, although it's been recognized as one of the great teams. Obviously, if we'd have won one or both of those games, it would have been recognized much higher. Indeed. And then in 1960, one of the great 
pieces of your remarkable basketball career is just how success and championships have followed wherever you go. Obviously not a mistake. In 1960, you were the starting center on the gold medal team uh, in the Rome Olympics. This despite the fact that at center, at 6'8", you were by far the smallest guy at the five on the team. Can you talk about that experience um, in developing the player that Jerry Lucas would become? Well, it, obviously that was one of the extreme highlights of my career to represent our country and to play on an incredible team. Oscar Robertson, Jerry West were on that team. Uh, just, just a phenomenal team. And Pete Newell was our coach, and Pete met with us individually, uh, each of us, before we went to training camp, which was at West Point. And uh, he told me that I would not be able to play sooner on the, on the team because we had uh, you know, three seven-footers on that team. I was only six eight, and I was going to have to play a forward. And I said, Mr. Newell, I can't do that. I can't learn to be a forward in six weeks. I've been a center my whole life. Give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. He said, no, I'm sorry, Jerry. I can't do that. And for the first time in my life, I've never said it before, and I've never said it since. I said, Mr. Newell, I will be the starting center on this basketball team. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt, probably in practice. And if you're going to scrimmage, you're going to have to use me at center. I will work harder than any player you've ever seen in your life. Just give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. And it ended up happening, and I was fortunate, obviously, to be on the greatest amateur team in the history of basketball and win a gold medal and, and lead my team in scoring and rebounding, scoring along with Oscar Robertson. It was one of the extreme basketball experiences of my life. It's incredible because after that, it was professional basketball time and your professional career began in peculiar fashion really in short your draft rights belonged to the cincinnati royals the cleveland pipers and nearly saw the pipers join the nba essentially on your behalf but i think the moment that i that i want to focus on from your rookie year happened in the locker room during the all-star game uh, it was a moment that has really shaped basketball history can you talk a little bit about what happened in that locker room that year well, you can imagine, I, as the only rookie in the NBA All-Star Game, which was held in old Boston Garden, was extremely excited. Looking forward to my first experience in an All-Star Game. And by the way, for those people who watch NBA All-Star Games today, they were totally different in those days. They were very, very competitive. Today, it's more of, a, it's more of an exhibition. But there I was in the locker room, excited, and, and I heard some conversation going among the the uh, old-timers there, if you will, those who had experience in the game, and here I was, a new one, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And then all of a sudden, the, all of the Western players came over into the Eastern locker room, and I thought, well, this must be a tradition. Maybe they get together <laughs> to wish each other well and shake hands and so forth. But I found out very quickly that something unique was happening. Uh, it went, uh, I, I discovered that they all the players had decided to strike. And I was the only one in the room that didn't know about it because they didn't expect a rookie to be in the NBA All-Star game. So I just kind of went over and sat in the corner, and all of the veterans were talking about, we have to do this. There was no players' union. There was no retirement. There were no benefits. Players actually got nothing but their salary during the year. So the decision was made that the strike was going to take place in the All-Star game which was highly televised around the country, and the NBA didn't have the exposure that it had today. And there I sat thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to play my first All-Star game. 
And so a representative was sent outside to the owners, and the owners came back into the locker room. And boy, there was a heated argument that occurred at that time. Not for me. I was a rookie sitting in the corner. Boy, but there were words going back and forth, very loud words. And it was decided right then and there by the owners that the players would be allowed to form a union. And that's where it all began in that locker room in that particular year. And the game went on, but it was delayed about 45 minutes before it started. And so for all the money that the players were making today, that was the beginning of it when the NBA players were allowed to form a union and have representation. And I don't think very many people know about that event happening. And there I was, a little meek rookie in a corner, watching all of this history occurring right in front of me. <laughs> it's incredible. I love that story so much. I love. I also love, of course, it has to happen in the Boston Garden, right? It's either Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right and that, and that had to happen in the old boston garden and it was and we ended up playing the game and of course it was a wonderful experience for me but i i, I don't think many of the players today know about what began and what happened to allow them to make the incredible salaries that they do today gosh that's a great story oh no once your nba career begins it was success after success can you talk about those early Cincinnati Royals teams with you and Wayne Embry and Oscar Robinson? That chemistry looked so easy and so natural. Was it, and did it take a while to really coalesce? Well, we had a great basketball team, but unfortunately we were the second best team of professional basketball all the years that we played together there in Cincinnati because the Boston Celtics were so great. But it was a phenomenal team, and many of those players are now in the Hall of Fame. Now, of course, I played with, as a teammate, one of the greatest players that ever played basketball, Oscar Robertson, and until this year, he was the only player that averaged a triple-double in NBA history, which obviously is a phenomenal feat. I mean, it happened this year with Westbrook, but I never thought it would happen again. It was amazing to see what Westbrook did this year. But uh, that, that was a great time in my life. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't as great as it could have been because we always seemed to be beaten by the Boston Celtics in seven games or six <laughs> games or something like that and not to be able to even to get to the NBA Finals. Now, after a period of time, Bob Cousy came in as the coach and wanted to make some changes, and he traded me to the San Francisco Warriors and Oscar Robertson to, uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks. And unfortunately for Oscar, he teamed with uh, Abdul Zibar and was able to win his uh, world championship. And I, after a couple of years with uh, uh, the Warriors, went on to New York where I was able to complete my career and become the first player in the history of basketball to win at every level, high school, college, Olympics, and the pros, when I won a world championship with that phenomenal New York team in 1973. And and I have to, I, I love talking about that New York experience because it was also in New York that legend has it, your phone book trick was was unveiled. Where uh, again, legend has it, you memorized fifty pages of the Manhattan phone book. Uh, one, is this true? And two, how does Jerry Lucas even think to do that? Well, I had been uh, involved in memory my entire life. I started as a young boy in Middletown, Ohio. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting in my hometown of Middletown, Ohio, right now as we're recording this, which is. <laughs> unique, and I'm very happy that I'm recording it from my hometown. But I started as a young boy with an incredibly active mind, and 
and invented all kinds of mental games and realized uh, I wasn't being taught how to learn. Oh, I was, you know, I was told you got to learn this information, but nobody was saying, here's how you learn. And I realized that uh, in the fourth grade, a teacher taught me something that told me to remember something by seeing a picture in my mind. And I thought, I'll never forget that. And I began to think about how we learn as children. That's the way we naturally learn. A parent points out a, a cat, a dog, a horse, a tree, etc., and it's impossible to forget. God's given us a remarkable ability. You can't think of a tangible object without an image of it appearing in your mind, so you can't forget it. If I say to you, please do not see a zebra in your mind, it's too late. You already saw a zebra. You know, what about a giraffe or an alligator? So I, I began to think, my gosh, what if I could give a tangible identity to everything I needed to learn? And I began as a fourth grader to do that, have done it my entire life, and I developed an incredible learning system beyond that. And I used that system to do some remarkable feats that people thought were impossible, but they weren't because of the system I had created. And then I co-authored a book entitled The Memory Book that became the number two bestseller in the nation. And I began to travel and appear on Johnny Carson, Mike Douglas, Today, Good Morning America, etc. And I would demonstrate some feats of memory. I'd memorize four or 500 people in the audience, have them stand up, name all their last names memorize a 100-page magazine, and I did memorize 200 pages of the Manhattan phone book, and one night after a Nick game, uh, Bill Bradley and I and a few other teammates we went to Robert Redford's apartment, and Bobby Fisher, the, the great uh, chess player, was there, and, and he was talking about what memory meant to chess, etc., and Bill Bradley said, well, there's somebody in this room that's got a better memory than you, Mr. Fisher, and he said, can't be, and he said, Jerry, come over here. He said, Bobby, get out the Manhattan phone book, first couple hundred pages. I want you to call out any name. Jerry will tell you the address and the phone number of that person. He said, that's impossible. <laughs> so I did two or three names like that, and Bobby Fisher called me a warlock. He said, you are a male witch. <laughs> Nobody was able to do that. So that appeared in the New York Times the next day. But I did demonstrations like that to show people uh, that the mind is incredible, and it could be, it could do things that people never thought could be done. And what I've done the last 40 years, I retired from basketball early, and I've spent my life changing and revolutionizing the educational process. And in the near future, I'm going to be starting to create an educational website that will be known as Dr. Memories Universe, a whole universe of learning, where all of my techniques, the hundreds of characters and video games and songs that I've created will be developed to revolutionize the educational process and make learning automatic and unforgettable, unforgettable for you to, uh, for uh, youngsters throughout the rest of uh, our lives. Well, Jerry, on a personal level, as a parent uh, of two children with active minds, I'm thrilled about that announcement. I really am. Finally, uh, what does it mean to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life? Well, obviously, to be elected to the Hall of Fame is the highest recognition that a basketball player can receive. I, I was overwhelmed uh, when I got that honor, and it means so much to me, and I know it means so very, very much to all of those who have been enshrined and the great players that will be enshrined in the future. It's the culmination of anybody's career. It's the final jewel and the crown of accomplishment for any basketball player. And I'm excited, uh, thrilled to be part of it. And, uh, I mean, I just look forward to the continued success of the Basketball Hall of Fame, and I will always support it. He is Dr. Memory, 
a seven-time NBA All-Star, an NBA champion, an NCAA champion, an Olympic gold medalist, a high school champion, and it has been a truly memorable experience chatting with Jerry Lucas. Thank you so much, Mr. Lucas, for your time today. You're very welcome, Kyle. It's been my pleasure.